So today, I have the pleasure, I think, of confessing to you what the strong-willed woman, what her sin is. I have quite a bit of experience in this area. So we'll be talking about me and you as well. But before we talk about the strong-willed woman, I want to say a little bit about the title. What is a strong-willed woman? When Greg and I first were thinking back and forth about the title, we actually used the word controlling. The passive men and controlling women. But I didn't think any of the women would show up if we use that title. So strong-willed. But I think strong-willed is better because strong-willed tells us that we are fierce and we have strong ideas and we are generally opinionated and we want our way. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. So come back in two weeks, because we're going to talk about what are the good things, what are the redemptive qualities of a strong-willed woman. But today we're going to talk about the destructive characteristics that come out of a strong-willed woman. And so if I slip and I use the word controlling, forgive me, that's how I've kind of seen myself. So uh, strong-willed woman. Um, just before we begin to, I want to say that for some of you, in your relationships, it's actually reversed. That is the female who is passive and the male who is really strong-willed or controlling. Um, and a lot of what I say will apply to you if you're the man then. Okay? However, when we get to the sin of the strong-willed woman, it really is the woman's sin. So I just want to make that caveat today. Okay? All right. So to begin, I think it's only fair that since last week the men got to tell us what it's like for them when they are passive. Women, I want you to take out your phones. Everybody take them out so that people don't see just the few of you who text me. Okay? <laughs> Everybody take out your phones and pretend to be texting me something. So here's the question. Women, what is the most common way that you're strong-willed? In other words, what do you do when you're strong-willed? And Greg is my lovely assistant who will read the text as they come in. Oh, yeah, sorry. You mean, right, let's see. Yes, so 651-560-0408. Text your answers now. I'm basically a glorified voicemail at this point. <laughs> Independence. Ambition. Finances. I'm 99.9% .9 right. My way or the highway. Making my own decisions, opinionated, manipulating, confident. I say, I think you should do this way. Want things my way with an exclamation point. Opinionated, not consulting my husband, driven. Okay, okay, I think that's good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> good job, strong-willed women. Well, I'm clearly, they, they, they just keep coming. <laughs> so 
so you get an idea what that looks like. Well, the funny thing is that I didn't even know I was strong-willed until I got married. And very quickly, I became very frustrated. I had never been this frustrated my whole life. I quickly became critical. I am not a critical person. But when I got married, I became really critical. Um, I'm generally happy, but I was really disappointed. And pretty much, I was out of control because I thought my life was out of control. And therefore, I tried to control Greg. But the reality is that we can blame people around us. We can blame our partner, our boyfriend, our spouse. But really, I had been a strong-willed person all my life. It just took marriage and a relationship to bring it out in me. Um, the strong-willed patterns form when you're little and you're growing up. And for us women, I think particularly for us Hmong women, we see how our moms are treated. We're like, I will never let a man treat me that way. Or we see how our society tells us women to be more passive. And we're like, no way. I am not going to let that happen to me. So even as a child, I learned to do things so that I would get things my way. And I remember there's a particular moment where I, God reminded me years later how willful I was. Uh, my parents would take me to the library and, and drop me off there. And one day, my mom forgot to come pick me up. And I was so mad at her. I walked home in the cold. It was about this cold. And I remember when she finally caught up with me. She said, get in the car, Minai. And I said, no. I will not, because I wanted to punish her for forgetting to come pick me up. And I was like, wow, I'd do that to Greg right now. <laughs> so God was reminding me that this strong willness was in me already from the beginning. And here are some things that I recognize about strong-willed women. We have the need to control everything around us. Part of that is that we don't want to get hurt, and so we're careful. Uh, we don't want to get hurt. We don't other, want other people to get hurt either, so we think we can control the environment and we can control other people. And here's an example of that. When we were sitting here worshiping, Greg put his cup right there. How many of you saw that? Raise your hand if you saw it. Only Johan did, but I was like, oh my gosh, everybody in the audience is going to look at that cup and they're going to be distracted by it. That's how strong my need is to control my environment. Okay? And we have strong opinions about everything. The dishes need to be washed a certain way. The clothes need to be folded a certain way. Um, so that even if our partners, our husband, or boyfriend, or brothers want to help us, we're like, okay, please help me, but do it this way. And, and we can become really critical of others because we have a perfect idea of how things should be done. So being really critical and being really opinionated. Um, probably two, two years into my marriage, I had trained Greg so well that if we're sitting in the car, he could tell the moment I wanted him to change lanes. <laughs> That's how good I was. That's how evil I was. Um, 
At the time, I thought it was a great thing. But looking back, I was so controlling that Greg was so scared to make a mistake. And so in our relationship, he, you know that whole passive, strong-willed combination? Well, he had to be passive because he couldn't stand up to somebody who was going to bite his head off. And I had two ways to punish him. I would give him the cold shoulder, so use silence. I would punish him by withholding my affection. Or I would punish him by showing him on my face, not with my words. Some of you use words. Some of you, you use words that tell your husband or your partner that he doesn't measure up. But I used my facial expressions. So those are the two ways that I showed him that he would never measure up to what I wanted him to be. The second thing that we do as, as strong-willed women, we, first we need to control, and the second thing is we want to prevent destruction. So we think that everything is a big deal, like that cup. I thought it was a big deal. In fact, I thought it was going to get in the way of your worshiping God. That's how the calamity that I thought it would do. That's the other reason why we want to control everything, because we make everything a big deal. Uh, because of that, we're super cautious. We can overthink every situation. Greg, that shirt, the color's not quite right. It's going to, you know, and then fill in the blank with what I think it's going to happen. Uh, we overwork. We're busy and industrious because we're afraid that we're going to get fall, fall behind and we won't catch up with other people. So we're ambitious, that word that somebody uh, posted earlier. And most of all, we worry and worry and worry because we're so afraid that if we don't do enough, something really bad is going to happen. And so we constantly worry. And because of those two things, we come to this third characteristic of the strong-willed woman, is that we have the savior complex. If you don't know what the savior complex is, then I'll explain it to you and you'll see it. We think it's up to me to protect my family. If I don't do this, nobody else will do it because my husband doesn't see it, so I better do it. We have the um, ability to, because we're cautious, we can see every danger, so we're like, oh no, nobody else sees it. I'm the one who has to protect my family. And then we look down upon everybody else who doesn't seem to get it and doesn't seem to see this. And for me, and I think for many of you, because I think I'm doing such a great job at protecting myself and my family, it's really hard for me to admit when I'm wrong. And I don't know how many times Greg has heard me say, I'm sorry. I definitely don't say it enough because it's really hard for me to admit that I failed, that I didn't do a good job protecting us and not a good enough job um, doing what I'm supposed to do, which is saving the family. But the savior complex leads me to rely on myself. And oftentimes, when we rely on ourselves, the people around us feel like they're not needed. You know, how often has your husband said to you, I could die, you'd be totally fine. <laughs> you could just hire somebody to kill the bugs, right? Because that's what I'm here for. But other than that, you would be fine without me. This idea that, well, you know, 
I can rely on myself. And the really sad thing is that this, this component of our strong willedness, I can do it myself. We learned it when we were little because, we, again, we saw our moms and we're like, I will never depend on another man the way I see my mom depend on my dad or the women around me. And so we, we want to avoid it. We're like, no way will I ever be that dependent on a man. I want my independence. And then we're in this great country that, that teaches equal, equal rights and they empower us women to be all that we can be. Well, I learned that anything you can do, men, I can do better. That was my motto. And I, I worked hard at that. And so, because I need to control, because I try to keep calamity from happening and protect everyone around me, and because I think I'm the savior of myself and everyone else around me, it really leads to the sin, a really deep sin. And last week, we learned that for the passive man, the sin is selfishness. And I think for most of us women, we would say, no, I am not selfish. I give my whole life to my husband and my kids. And for those of you dating, you're probably thinking, I have made decisions to give my, you know, do everything for my, my boyfriend. But the core sin for us strong-willed women is that we don't trust God. We can't trust God with anything, especially our husband. Right? God, I'll change my husband because you don't seem to be doing it right or fast enough. Okay? God, I will make sure our finances are in order because you don't seem to be doing a good job of this. And we take control because we think that we can rely on ourselves, but no one else. Okay? And so as I talk about the sin of the strong-willed woman, in case you're like, well, I don't know if that's really me, we've put together, we've actually used a, a handout that uh, an author, writer, Kimberly Wagner, wrote an amazing book, and I would recommend it to all you women, as well as you men, you can read it to understand your, your women. Um, she wrote a book called Fierce Women, the power of a soft warrior. So she chose to use the word fierce. But in there, she, she confesses to all the things about what, what strong-willed women do. And she uses this acrostic for the word emasculation. Okay, emasculation is when you, you take a man and you take away his manhood. And you do whatever you can to take away his manhood. And she has a, a couple descriptions for each letter of the word. So I'm not going to go through all of them, but on your way out, there's a handout on the info table, and I would encourage you to take it. But I'll just say a few, and then women, don't raise your hand, but see if this is something you've done, okay? E is for ego-deflating treatment. 
ego-deflating treatment? Do you criticize? Do you compare him to others? Do you question his decisions so that he no longer feels like he's competent? Okay. M, manipulation. Do you exert pressure to get your way? Do you withhold sex or do you use it as bribery? C is for controlling. Are you dominating, taking over, attempting to change your husband? In you, do you use unrestrained words? Do you use your tone of voice, your facial expression, the words that you say to tell him that he's an idiot, that he's worthless, that he can never do anything right? Okay, and that's just a few of them. So emasculation is a pretty long word. She's pretty brutal with us. Um, so this sin of not trusting God, what do we do with it? What do we do when we realize, wow, I have been trying to control everyone around me because I don't trust God to, to change them and to work with them. I have been trying to save everyone because I don't think God's a good savior. What do we do with that? So we're going to look at uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 1 through 6, and then verse 13 through 17. And the Apostle Peter is going to tell us what to do. So in the letter of 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter was sending a letter to all the believers. So you know how Paul usually sends letters to different churches? Well, Peter was sending this to all the believers. And the theme is about persecution. He said, as you are a Christian, as you believe and follow Jesus, you are going to be persecuted. But he says, even while you're being persecuted, I want you to, and then he says, obey the people who are over you in your cities, in your country, right? You're the human authorities. And then he says, slaves, if you happen to be a slave, or for us, it would be workers, right? If you work for somebody, obey them come under their authority because they are they have authority over you and then he says this weird thing and this is where we're going to pick up in first peter 3 verse 1 through 6 wives in the same way in the same way as we have to submit to human authority and as slaves have to submit to their masters in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way, now we're going to look at an example. Peter's going to give us an example of what that looks like. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. 
You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Um, We'll come back to verse 13 in a little bit, but here's what the apostle Peter is saying to us women. You may not like your situation in life, just like a slave may not like their situation that they have a master over them. So here, wives, you are married to your husband. No matter what he is, whether he's a believer or not, and then, then Peter says, in fact, if he's not a believer, you still have to live this way. And what is that way? He says that we are to have our hope in God. And when we have our hope in God, then we have a gentle and quiet spirit. Okay, so without hope in God, we cannot really do this gentle and quiet spirit thing. So what does it mean to hope in God? Just really quickly, to hope in God means to have a strong and confident expectation that God is the one who is in charge and will take care of everything. Okay, sometimes we say things like, well, I hope the Vikings win, even though we know they won't, right? (laughs) But that's not the way the Bible uses the word hope. When the word hope is used in the Bible, it's not something like, oh, it's, I know that it's going to happen. This is my hope. It's a confidence that something is going to happen. So Peter says our hope needs to be in God. That's the opposite of not trusting God, right? And when we hope in God, then we can have a gentle and quiet spirit. Um, Some of the translations use the word meek and quiet spirit. But the Greek word for this word, gentle or meek, has the idea of warm, friendly, patient, long-suffering, okay? So to have a gentle spirit is to be uh, patient with our husbands, to be kind and soft towards them, okay? And you can only do that if your hope is in God. And then the second thing, the quiet spirit. I know you're like quiet, right? How can I be quiet? This Greek word um, actually has the idea of someone who is calm and at peace and able to control themselves so that everywhere they go, they spread peace. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you want that? Isn't that why we try to control everything? Because we want peace and harmony. But the way to do it is through a gentle spirit. And this is usually the opposite of what we do. We're mean and aggressive and critical and demanding, and we create havoc everywhere we go when we're strong-willed, which is the opposite of being gentle and quiet in spirit. Um, so, some of you are thinking, well, you don't know the person I live with. <laughs> Easy for you to say, have a quiet and gentle spirit, Peter, or Puffwa, right? Well, Peter gives us an example of Sarah as someone who exemplified a gentle and quiet spirit. 
And he ends by saying that, you, you know, uh, do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, if anybody had a reason to be fearful, it was Sarah. So I'm going to do a quick recap of what happened to her. Sarah was married to Abraham, the, the father of the Jews, the patriarch. And not once, but twice, he said to her, hey, we're going into this new land, and you are so beautiful that if we tell people that you're my wife, they're going to kill me, and they're going to take you. So you got to tell everybody that you're my sister, not my wife. And she quietly went along with it. And both times, the king of that country took her for his wife. And Peter explains to us that the reason why Sarah was able to do that, to submit to her husband, was that she hoped in God. She did not put her faith in herself and her ability to save her or her husband's ability, but she put her hope in God. And both times, God came through. The first time, the guy who took her, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, took her for his wife, just put her in his concubine place. I don't know what that's like, a palace for them, I guess. And then he and all his people started getting plagues. Bad things happened to them, and they were like, whoa, we did something wrong. And God rescued her because Pharaoh realized it was because I took this woman. The second time, God came in a dream to the man who took Sarah and said, you will surely die for you have taken somebody's wife. And he's like, I'm innocent. I didn't know. And so again, God rescued Sarah. So women, in case you're wondering, you're like, well, you don't know the dangers my husband puts me in. Has he ever told you to lie that you're not his wife? Right? But Sarah was able to trust God, and God came through. God protected her, and God even rescued her husband. Okay? So we have to put our hope in God, this strong and confident expectation that God will come through, that he's the one who's going to save me, my husband, our kids, our family, our finances. Because you and I both know the reason why strong-willed women can't sit still is because we know that we can't do it all. And we know that we're not good enough. And we know that we can't save ourselves or our husband or our kids, no matter how hard we work. And the only cure for that is to place your hope in God, to put your hope in God. And this is how Peter explains why we can do this. In verse, in chapter 3, verse 13 on, Peter says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? If you really want to be loving and kind and gentle to your husband, who's going to harm you? We think he's going to harm us. And then Peter says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. 
always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So I know some of you are afraid. If I'm gentle, if I have a spirit that yields to my husband, then I'm going to get taken advantage of. I might even get abused. Or we're going to fall behind. Or we're going to lose our house. Or whatever your fear is that that bad thing is going to happen. And Peter says, it is better for you to do good. And good in this instance is having a gentle and quiet spirit. It is better for you to do good and suffer than do evil and still suffer. Because we do suffer when we're trying to control everybody else around us. I don't know anyone who loves the power they have and is like, well, yeah, I love that my husband just does everything I tell him. There's a part of us that's like, this, this isn't right. This is kind of wrong. It's kind of like me realizing, wow, I am so evil that Greg's so scared that he has to know when to change lanes. Like, that's just evil. And when we recognize that, then we can understand, you know what? It's better to suffer for doing the right thing, for being gentle, for being patient. But most of all, because we trust God that God is the one who will protect us. God is the one who will reward us because a gentle and quiet spirit, these are of great worth in God's eyes. God sees this as a beautiful thing, and I hope that you do too. I'm a recovering, strong-willed woman. There are days where I still want things my way, but God always convicts me to say, who's in charge? Who's saving you and Greg? Who's going to protect you in the long run? Put your hope in God. Would you pray with me?